0: Matthew chapter 2, just two verses we'll read as our text verses 1 and 2. Let's read together. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, Lord, open our hearts that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches. I pray blessing upon them. I pray that you protect them even as you've protected us, and that you grow them and prosper them. I lift up our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you and pray that you draw them to a place of repentance so that not one of them will be lost. Lord, I can't think of a better Christmas gift and for our loved ones to come to you. So I ask these things and pray them in the only name that matters, the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The journey had been long and arduous, almost a thousand miles, taking almost two years to complete. It wasn't chance or a whim that led them on this quest. From the moment the exiled Hebrew Daniel had risen to prominence as the wisest man in all of Babylon, he had taught their ancestors to look to the stars for an announcement that would herald the birth of a powerful king. He would be announced as king of the Jews but the boundaries of his kingdom would then spread until it encompassed the whole earth when daniel was exiled he brought with him some of the ancient writings from those holy books he taught them what to expect from this one that would arise the first promise of this coming king was found in genesis 3:15 when god said to the serpent who had deceived the first man and woman in the garden I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. In that promise, they saw that this one to come would be born of a woman. So the Magi knew to look for someone newly born, a baby. One of the subjects all wise men studied was how to read the stars. They were great astronomers who believed the cosmos communicated to them by means of star alignments and configurations. According to their thinking, people and nations were associated with certain stars and constellations. The Jewish nation was associated with the constellation Pisces, the fish. Centuries before, God had sent a prophet to these same people. The prophet Jonah, you remember, was delivered to them by a huge fish, which spit him up on dry land just outside the city of Nineveh. Hence, they associated Jews and fish. From the book of Numbers, Daniel taught them about the time in chapter 24 when Balak, the king of Moab, enlisted the services of Balaam to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. However, every time Balaam opened his mouth, he could only speak blessings. And in verse 17 of chapter 24 of Numbers, Balaam prophesied, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. Thus it was that when a strange star appeared in the constellation of Pisces, these wise men recognized that the time had arrived. Uh, There were other things Daniel taught them. In 2 Chronicles 6, 16, God promised Solomon, Now therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And from this, the wise men knew that when this one born of a woman came, he would be born of kingly lineage a son of David from Daniel himself the chief of the wise men now long deceased they learned in Daniel 7 13 I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him here this one is that is to be born is described as both a god and a man From the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, verses 5 through 10, they learned that this one would also suffer and how this king, God, man would die. Thus it was that when the star appeared, these three wise men made preparation to welcome the arrival of this mighty king. The gifts were not randomly chosen. They were carefully selected to acknowledge what they had learned from the prophet's. They brought gold, which is the gift for royalty, a gift for a king. They brought frankincense, which was incense offered in worship. It was a gift for divinity, a gift you give a god. They brought myrrh, which is a funeral spice, a gift used for burial. The Bible doesn't specifically say there were three wise men uh, that, that number comes from the three gifts that were given and from the carol that is often sung at Christmas time. There may have been only three, but chances are there were many more. There, there would certainly have been more than three men traveling, for one would never travel in such a small company bearing such valuable gifts for such a long journey with, with brigands and bandits lurking over every sand dune and in every cave. Regardless of the number, with these gifts in hand, the wise men packed their camels and donkeys, enlisted a few dozen servants, and traveled to Jerusalem. It makes sense they would go to Jerusalem. They're going to see a king. And the obvious place to look for a king is in the capital city. The arrival of these dignitaries from a foreign land must have been quite a spectacle. Dismounting from their camels, they wasted no time in inquiring, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Suddenly, curiosity turned to panic. Nobody wanted to even look at them, much less talk to them. See, verse 3 of chapter 2 of Matthew says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, now it's real easy to just read right over that verse. But notice, the wise men are looking for the one born king of the Jews. The next verse says that Herod is the king, but he is troubled. Literally, that means he is shaking in his boots. And when Herod was troubled, that meant the entire city was troubled. Now, there are two things I, I, here I, I don't want you to miss. First of all, Herod knew they weren't talking about him when they wanted to find the one born king of the Jews because even though he was presently king, he certainly wasn't newborn and truth be told, he wasn't even born king. See, he had schemed and connived and paid quite dearly for Caesar to make him king. He wasn't of David's lineage. He wasn't even fully Jewish. He was Edomite, meaning that he was a descendant of Esau. He was related, but he wasn't in the line. Herod held the title king of the Jews, but he certainly wasn't the one born king of the Jews. The Jews despised Herod, and Herod tyrannized the Jews. If Herod suspected that anyone might be a rival to his power, that person was immediately put to death. Uh, He saw his wife's brother, Aristobulus, as a threat to his throne, so he had him drowned in a fake swimming accident. Then five years later, his wife's grandfather seemed to be a threat, so he had him killed. The next year, he killed his wife, and the following year, his mother-in-law, along with two of his own sons. Five days before his death, he had a third son executed. History records that just before his death, Herod arrested all the leading men of the city and gave instructions that upon his demise, all the leaders would be put to death, and that would ensure there would be great crying and mourning when he died. Well, the men were arrested, but thankfully someone realized that when Herod died, he no longer had the power to put someone to death, so the men were released. Augustus, the Roman emperor, had said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. No wonder when the Bible says that Herod was troubled, it immediately says, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod recognized that the question of the wise men about the birth of a king represented a challenge to his throne. If a king has been born and Herod is king then we have a problem because you can't have two kings every story has a every good story has a villain and in the christmas story that villain is herod he consults with the priests who immediately immediately know where the messiah is to be born it wasn't a mystery they knew the prophecy of Micah 5:2 that the ruler was to be born in bethlehem of judea Well, under the guise of desiring to worship this new king, Herod secretly calls in the wise men and asks them to search for the child, and when they find him, to report back to him so that he can go and worship as well. It's a nefarious scheme calculated to ensure that Herod's position isn't threatened. By the time the wise men arrive in Bethlehem, the family is no longer in the stable, and Jesus is no longer in the cradle. See, the the, the picture we have of the manger scene, you know, with the angel and the shepherds and the star and the wise men, the wise men weren't there. It's about two years later. He's a toddler now, and the family is in a house. Upon arrival, the first thing the wise men do is fall prostrate to the ground and worship. Then they presented their gifts, valuable, priceless, prophetic gifts gold for the king incense for his divinity myrrh for his burial those gifts were not only symbols of his life and ministry but they were also going to serve a very practical purpose as well now the details are somewhat sketchy but these men apparently stayed several days The night before they were to depart, they were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. Verse 12 then says that the Magi left for their own country by another way. The next night, Joseph received yet another dream in which the angel spoke to him and gave instruction to take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt because Herod was going to try and kill the child. Those valuable gifts from the wise men, remember those? They provided the resources needed for the relocation. Well, once Herod realized he'd been tricked by the wise men, he was enraged. In an effort to eradicate any threat to his throne, he sent soldiers to kill all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and younger. Thus Matthew writes in verses 17 and 18, Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be comforted because they were no more. You know, in just a few days, people all over the world will join in celebrating this baby born in a manger. This Jesus wears many titles. The prophet Isaiah saw him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter called him the day star. He is the Christ, the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the great high priest. He is the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for sin. He is called rabbi, teacher. He is savior. The list goes on and on. But of all the titles he wears, none evoke the kind of dramatic response as the title king. This is the title that provokes conflict. When Jesus was born, the great controversy was over the claim that a king was born. The wise men bore witness to the birth of a king, and they worshipped him as such. Herod, the incumbent king in the domain of his birth, felt threatened. He lost sleep and lashed out in anger at the idea of a new king. See, the issue Is always about the king and the introduction of a new kingdom, the dominion over which the king rules. When John the Baptizer came preaching as a voice crying in the wilderness, his message wasn't resisted because he admonished the people to repent. It was the reason for the repentance. What did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The ministry of Jesus, all the miracles and and all the deliverance, all of the teaching, all of the confrontation with the religious elite was to demonstrate by both word and deed that the kingdom of heaven had come. When Jesus was delivered to Pilate for sentencing, the primary accusation that was used to gain a hearing was that he claimed to be king in opposition to the emperor of Rome. And when Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responded, it is as you say. The custom was to place a sign over the head of the criminals who were being executed by crucifixion, identifying their crimes. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, Pilate had a sign placed over him in multiple languages that read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. When one of two thieves that were crucified with him was about to die, he called out to Jesus and said, remember me when you come, what? Into your kingdom. The issue then and the issue now is always about the king and the kingdom. Nobody would have been upset if Jesus had merely claimed to be a savior. There were a lot of people claiming to be saviors. Messiahs were a dime a dozen. Nobody cared that he was a teacher. There were lots of those roaming around. Herod would not have been troubled by the birth of a priest. But the announcement of the birth of a king was an entirely different matter. This is what provoked conflict then, and this is what continues to provoke conflict now see if there is a new king that means the old kingdom is in danger there cannot be two kings in a kingdom Israel see Israel thought they were under the dominion of Rome they didn't know their true bondage was to sin Israel was willing to accept a king who would overthrow their enemies but not one who would challenge their authority or their position here's what I've discovered It's easy to accept Jesus as the baby in the manger. You know, we have the beautiful cards in pastels with halos around the heads of the Holy Family. We have the children singing lovely carols by candlelight. Sweet little baby Jesus. That's not a threat to anybody. Believers find assurance in the knowledge that Jesus is their great high priest. Many people have accepted Jesus as Savior. They celebrate the fact that he's become the sacrifice for sin. I want to tell you, it's one thing to accept him, to look to him, to receive him as Savior and sacrifice. It's quite another to submit to him as sovereign. The world is happy to let Jesus be a baby in a manger but not willing to accept him and acknowledge him as sovereign king and Lord. Lots of people welcome Jesus as a son of David, but not as the son of God. People don't mind celebrating the birth of a baby, but they don't want to hear about the Lord of lords. People are, people are willing to sing about the nativity of Jesus, but they arrogantly reject his authority. People are willing to adore Jesus as an infant, but will not pay homage to him as God incarnate. They can tolerate the trappings of Christmas, a manger, angels, shepherds, wise men, a star, Joseph and Mary, but they cannot bear the thought of giving their life to Jesus in a commitment that involves the entire calendar year. This is the conflict. If Jesus is king, then he has a kingdom. And this kingdom has guidelines and laws and rules and boundaries. If Jesus is king, then that means you can't be king of your own life. Two cannot sit on the throne. When Jesus is king, it's exclusive. There can't be two kings. And when Jesus is king, it's intrusive. Another kingdom is breaking in. It's a a declaration of war. This is where people have the biggest problem. You're good with Jesus on the cross. It's good when he's Hanging there suspended between heaven and earth. But it's it's when he's wearing the crown that you struggle. You're good with Jesus beside the empty tomb. The conflict comes when he's wielding the scepter. This is why Satan did everything possible to stop Jesus. The birth of Jesus the king spelled the end of his dominion in the earth. The entrance of the king... Signaled the destruction of his kingdom. See, where Jesus is king, there is no more addiction. Where Jesus is king, there is no more abuse. Where Jesus is king, there is no more sorrow. Where Jesus is king, there is no more pain. Where Jesus is king, there is no more heartbreak. Where Jesus is king, there is no more disease. Where Jesus is king, there is no more death. The title of king provokes conflict. And then I want you to see that this title of king presents choices. When Herod heard of the birth of the king, he chose rebellion. He was hostile to the thought of another king. He lashed out in anger. He did everything possible to eliminate threat and preserve power and position. When the religious leaders heard of the birth of the king... They chose indifference. I mean you would have thought they would have dropped everything like the shepherds did when they heard of the birth and immediately go to find the king of Israel. The wise men traveled almost a thousand miles. The priests and religious leaders couldn't be bothered to travel six miles. They were too busy. They had their routines. They had their commitments. Maybe later when it's more convenient. Maybe when Herod cools down a bit and it's not as risky to be seen in Bethlehem. I want to suggest to you that this Christmas season presents you with a choice. How will you respond to the king? Many respond like Herod. Oh, oh, they may not try to kill anybody, but they rebel against the authority of Jesus over their life. They want nothing to do with somebody that will challenge the way they live. They aren't willing to submit to any authority but their own. They're fine with a priest. They're even excited about a Savior. But the last thing they want is a king. Some of you are responding like the priests and the scribes. You don't have any objection to this king, but it's just not convenient for you right now. You'll get around to worshiping and serving Him, but the timing just isn't right. You're preoccupied with trying to live with some semblance of order and normalcy. You're caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. You know what you ought to do, but right now you're focusing on good things and ignoring the best thing. It's interesting to me that the people who should have been seeking and serving the king, the Jews, were either resisting or ignoring him. It was these wise men, Gentiles, who made the choice to find him and bring him gifts and worship him. They left homes and families. They left comfort and endured the hardship of a treacherous journey. They traveled through the heat of the day over burning desert sands, slept on hard ground wrapped in blankets around a fire to ward off the cold as the temperatures plummeted at night. They posted guards for protection from the brigands and robbers who would have cut their throats and stolen their possessions. No danger was too grave. No hardship was too bitter to keep them from fulfilling their quest. They were convinced of the truth of Jeremiah 29 and 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Armed with the information from the religious leaders, the wise men resumed their journey, determined to find the king. The star reappeared and led them once again until they came to their destination. And there in the house they found the one whom they were seeking. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their first response is worship. Prostrate on the ground, kneeling, bowing, submitting to the authority And the rulership of the king. And that's the choice today. Rebellion and hostility. Indifference and ignoring. Or worship and submission. This king provokes conflict. He presents choices. And then there's one final thing I want you to see. This king produces change. Verse 11 talks about the worship of these wise men. Then verse 12 says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country, notice this, by another way. That's the way it always works. Once you make the choice to submit to the king and worship, it will cause you to change your ways. When Jesus is king in your life, there will be a change in your walk. When Jesus is king in your life, there will be a change in your talk. When Jesus is king in your life, there will be a change in your thought. When Jesus is king in your life, there will be a change in your priority. When Jesus is king in your life, there will be a change in your attitude. When Jesus is king in your life, there will be a change in your desire. When Jesus is king in your life, there will be a change in your focus. Here's what I know. If you come to Jesus and welcome him as Savior, if you come to him and acknowledge Jesus as your helper and friend and redeemer, but then there is not a change in your life, then you have not yet recognized him as king. Too many have limited the message of the gospel to receiving the blessings it provides. It's true that Jesus saves. How many of you know that? Anybody glad about that? It, it's OK to be glad that Jesus saves, Sorry. It's true that Jesus heals. It's true that Jesus helps. It's true that Jesus provides. It's true that Jesus speaks peace and brings joy. It's true that Jesus makes a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. It's true that Jesus gives comfort. It's true that Jesus redeems and restores. But that isn't the whole gospel. The whole gospel is more than getting some blessings. The good news is a king has come. Because he has come, he will deliver you and your bondage will finally end. Watch this. Watch this. Your bondage doesn't end when you are given bread and water in the prison. Your bondage ends when you are brought out of the prison against the wish of your captors. See, too many of you have gotten comfortable in prison just because you're eating well. You've got three hots and a cot. Your needs are being met. Your family is safe. Your body is healed. Your bills are paid. Your house is comfortable. You have clothes on your body and shoes on your feet. You have warm blood flowing in your veins. You wake up every morning in your right mind. Isn't God good? Yes, he is. But you're still in bondage to habits. you're still in bondage to fears. And you're still in bondage to the past. And you're still in bondage to desires of the flesh. And you're still in bondage to grief. And you're still in bondage to hurts that you haven't forgiven. I've come to tell you on this Sunday before Christmas that it isn't just a Savior or a sacrifice that has been born. Oh, no. He's not just Savior and sacrifice. He's sovereign. He's a conquering, delivering king who sets the captives free. Listen. Listen. If you'll bow before him as king, he'll take you in another way. He won't just save you. He'll break the power of darkness. He'll loose the chains that have you bound. He will set you free, free from the fear of tomorrow, free from the guilt of the past, free from the accusation of the enemy, free from the tyranny of the addiction, free from the dependence of the opinion of others for your sense of value and worth, free from every crippling wound of the abuse you suffered, free from every device, can launch against you. The Son of God came as a key to set you free. This Jesus may have started as a lamb in a cradle, but today he reigns as the lion of the tribe of Judah. One day he hung as a sacrifice on a cross. Today he sits as a sovereign on a throne. The shepherds saw him in the stable. The wise men worshiped him in the house. Today, he's at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you. And soon and very soon, he's returning on the clouds. And every eye shall behold him and every knee shall bow to him. And on that day, Satan will be bound. Evil will be vanquished. Righteousness will prevail. Truth will triumph. Jesus will reign over all the universe as King of kings and Lord of lords. Somebody ought to help me shout right now. Oh, blessed be God forever. Praise God! <laughs> this Christmas, never forget that it is the celebration of the birthday of the King. Yeah. As I bring the message to a close, I want to remind you of a simple truth. Every single person has an appointment That has been made by God himself. You have an appointment that is inescapable. No exceptions. Jesus the king stands at the end of your life's road. And he stands there as either your savior or your judge. It's with that understanding that I admonish you from Psalm 2 verses 10 through 12. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. I want to ask you, Have you taken refuge in Jesus? Have you not just trusted him as your savior from sin? Have have you also bent your will in submission to his will as your sovereign king? I urge you not to let this Christmas season pass without bowing in humble submission before this king whose birthday is celebrated this time of year. It's bowing prayer, shall we?